Hey everyone, welcome to the Dear Warren podcast, where we do backseat parenting. We share stories, principles, parables, and lessons, pass them down to my son Warren, but most importantly of all, we just try to have fun and hope you do too. This episode features our good friend Ryan Maple. Ryan is an information security specialist. He's a connoisseur of everything alcohol and often works at home in his PJs if he's lucky. Um, I've known Ryan a long time, and I was honored to have him on this podcast. Uh, this episode, we covered a lot of things, uh, everything security, from inter- internet security, how social media has or doesn't have a lot of it, how that affects biz- businesses and uh, news and media. We went over uh, physical security, such as uh, cracking safes, locks, and even delved into hard topics of the day, such as the role of firearms in said security. This was a fascinating discussion, so please enjoy as we present to you, Ryan Maple. This is the Dear Warren Podcast. And I am here with my good friend, Mr. Ryan Maple, and we were actually just going over. Um, we both have dogs in dog training. Well, I used to have a dog in dog training, and we went to the, the same school. And it got to the point where, I, I guess, why don't you tell the, the story of how Ollie is doing? Well, yeah, so um, I wouldn't say that our experiences were quite the same. But um, um, so um, our experience, how it ended up, and I'm not going to call this this company out sure. on this podcast, but I, I was equating their operating model to that of what I understand Scientology to be. Yeah. So if you know anything, if you've watched any of the television shows or the movies, or if you've read of the internet stuff, how Scientology works, there's a bridge and you go up that bridge and to get higher up that bridge, you have to give them a certain amount of cash. And once you give them that cash, they give you some sort of sacred, uh, sacred knowledge, which ends with, if you don't know what Scientologists believe at their core, go on the internet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. something like clearing your thetan levels or something, yeah. or regulating your thetan levels. Exactly. But I think uh, uh, I was also uh, correlating that to what I've found, yeah, especially with, they're better with it these days, but it looks like it's uh, making a resurgence of McDojos as far as like martial arts schools where, mm-hmm. hey, I have little Timmy who's showing potential at seven years old, and then the instructor will walk over to you, hey, Timmy's showing a lot of potential at seven years old. Why mm-hmm. don't you sign him up for the fast track black belt program just for an extra you know x amount of uh money per month and then they just add another program yet another Mm -hmm. program and you were saying that this is just kind of like a very standard model for a lot of well certain businesses yeah and it really preys on if you if you really take a a couple steps back and you talk and you try to introspect a little bit on how people work right so I, I take I've spent a lot of time on this. I introspect quite a bit. I I read a lot of philosophy, but um, I kind of started a place and completely jaded from my information security career, where all people are bad, um, and that's an, a very unpopular view of the world. The the conventional view of the world that people are good and good people do bad things. If you be if you look at the world through a lens of that we are all bad and society and things incentivize us to do good things. But if we didn't have laws, if we didn't have taboo, if we didn't have any of these things that guide our principles, we would be completely uncivilized. Right. So if you begin to look at the world through that lens, 
and you look at what incentivizes people and companies operating uh, models, you can start to put companies into categories. And the operating model where there's a low-cost thing to get you in the door, and in order for them to tell you or teach you that thing, they have to charge you something extra, and there's something you can pay for, which is twice as much a um, as that extra and it gets to there twice as fast, that little bit there is playing on human. Every human wants to spend a little bit to get there faster. Hmm. So right there off of the bat, they're, they're beginning to take advantage of how people who don't have this jaded <laughs> big view of the world. So, but like things in the world begin to make a lot of sense. If, mm -hmm. you, if you look at it through that lens, I find, do you think it's something where people label themselves as realist or something of the sort? I know that there is, um, when, when you say you approach it from, uh, already assuming that people are bad. Is it the definition of the word bad? Is it, uh, a little more, uh, define when you say that there's uh, malevolence in people and that it should not be overlooked? Well, it, it, it's extremely primal. I mean, mm -hmm. if you if you think about um, um, incentives, right? Like, I'm, incentive to not I'm incentivized to not kill you right now because mm -hmm. there are laws against it, but also because you're a friend of mine. And if you died, I would be upset, right? So mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons as to why. And if you start to just look at people's behavior through those broad and it's a very economic view of the world so like a lot of i've i've had some pretty interesting conversations and and read some things on behavioral economics um compartmentalizing like what makes people tick and mm. like, like the people who make a lot of money on wall street by like putting together the trend that like donald trump is becoming president they he retweeted um, this um, Black Rifle Coffee Company and their s sales like quadrupled. Um, just kind of like putting together predictors and yeah yeah. Um, I'm off on a tangent now. No, so. go. You can definitely go down that tangent just because of uh, when we talk about capitalizing in on that on that basic human nature i remember uh, in in the tech world the old mm -hmm. school term was fud fear uncertainty oh, and, yeah. and doubt uh people capitalizing on that there's also that mm -hmm. old phrase uh there's a there's a sucker born every every minute um and there's a bunch of there's another principle of just kind of really um taking advantage of people who are uh i wouldn't say good hearted i would say naive there's, there's almost like a naively good yeah. hearted where mm -hmm. yes you are nice yes you are kind to everyone but also if you don't have that kind of world view maybe not a world view but just a, a bit of hey this person can be quote bad or malevolent mm -hmm. in the background well yeah and i would really get into like why does that person self-identify as uh, not a uh, nice like hmm. what makes that person feel so much more virtuous than everybody else and mm -hmm. if you really start to pick away at that like and there are people who i've had this conversation with and i, I mean i don't find everybody over but i mean i can be pretty persuasive i think um <laughs> but fear i mean it is very hard to shed yourself from fear uncertainty and doubt yes and that's a thing i've spent most of my adult life i mean trying to condition myself to recognize arguments that prey on that like mm -hmm. when you hear 
certain politicians say people are saying mm. like well who is saying because the papers i'm reading the things i'm seeing on television all the experts i'm watching are saying the, ex the exact opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're getting into trust right yes. when you have blind trust in the person saying something you're gonna give more positive attribution to what that person is saying so it's tricky it's complicated but um when I was young, I thought that the internet would release humanity. I think a lot of, I have a few friends who are right. very tech oriented, who are looking forward to the singularity and everything. So, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I mean, if you just look at the indicators, I mean, in the, in the direction things are going, I mean, Facebook is gonna become... Why don't you give a brief yeah, I don't know. background to that? Because <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who are who kind of had uh, we we semi glossed over it. Uh, what is it that Cambridge Analytica stuff okay. uh, among, amongst other things? Yeah. Why don't you give a high level view of your uh, approach to Facebook or what you think of them? Well, yeah. So I deleted my so I created my Facebook account in 2008 or 2009, and I deleted it in 2012. Um. And have been a pretty, if you look at my Twitter, have been a pretty vocal hater on it ever since. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to anything that is free has a cost. And that's the, the primary thing that as soon as you start to talk to people and frame this to people the right way, that they understand that like anything, Twitter, Facebook, any of these services that are free, Gmail is free because you go into their interface and they how um, and they have ads, and those ads are how they f finance operations. <laughs> Facebook is free because they run ads. That's how they finance operations. Twitter is free because they run ads. That's how they finance operations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's the internet 1.0 and 2.0 um, operating model, right? Mm -hmm. Like charge on ads and everything is good. The The... The particular thing about Facebook and the thing that played out in the elections, and that I'll contrast it against Twitter, is the targeting aspect. Mm -hmm. So for Twitter, I don't ever see an ad. A lot of people do, but I don't because I don't use the, any of the Twitter clients. I use a third-party client that connects mm -hmm. in the API and just doesn't show me any ads. So if somebody wanted to target me on Twitter, they'd have to... They'd have to follow me and assume I will immediately follow them back. And I'm a smart and skeptical person. And I, <laughs> and I can recognize a, an inhuman or a person that I don't have any interest in pretty quickly. You're a, you're a natural bot uh, <laughs> kind <laughs> yeah. of detector. You yeah, can kind yeah, of yeah. see what's going on. Especially like, oh, look at you. You're looking at me with that uh, egg avatar. Yeah, yeah, hi, buddy. How you doing? Now, the thing that's notable on Facebook and Instagram, and the thing that like we've, we don't hear enough about over the last couple of weeks is that Instagram is owned by Facebook. So it's the same mm -hmm. company. So it's the same thing I'm about to say applies to both. Um, and it will apply to any company or subsidy of Facebook because when you're operating on the model is... So the reason that their stock is so much higher than Twitter's and their company is so much more valuable is because their platform is a, is, is fundamentally a targeting platform on the advertiser side. You go in and you say, I want to, I want um, I want to, I want to put content X in front of every guy between the age of 18 and 22 in Wisconsin who 
is in a this is the type code that went blue last time. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of that, when you're using the Facebook interface, because there's no third-party client, because their API doesn't allow them th- this, because then they wouldn't make as much money, which mm-hmm. is why they're more valuable. As you're scrolling through your feed, you see ads. And even the ones that you think that you're ignoring, your brain is still saying. And when you see the same thing enough times, it allows a foreign actor, it, rel- it allows anybody to target you. And I'm just not a person that wants to ever be targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, as an infosec person, I, I'm hypersensitive to that. And the typical response to get back to this is I don't have anything to hide. And I think that's a, that's a very, very sad and skeptical view of the world, but it is what it is. And the only thing that I have found that will really get people to change their opinion of Facebook Mm. is me really talking to them several times and reading things I send them, like articles about how they're being sued by Mm -hmm. the equal opportunity something or other because you you can run housing ads that are anti-Semitic that are discriminatory that are discriminatory and Mm -hmm. they are and there are people that are caught doing that and that's just awful so in terms of a platform just the whole way that Facebook operates is based upon exploiting your private information for profit when you put it like that I don't think coming at this cold you would ever sign up for that Mm. but if you like to scroll through and you have it in your head that you have a reason to even talk to everybody that you went to high school with that's a whole other aspect of this so going down a whole other rabbit hole right no so there was a really good op-ed on this in the times um, a while back on how the human brain throughout history has to forget things it's a coping mechanism. It's to free up room for new information. It's to deal with things emotionally. It's, but what Facebook is doing is it's requiring us to keep these weak connections alive. Mm. Like your third cousin. Like if I have any family members or friends who hear this. Don't take this the wrong way, but like, if I want to know what you're doing, like, either f- take the time to send me an email to reach out to me to call me individually, or I will reach out to you. Otherwise, I've got a lot going on, and that noise, right? That all that that is is a serotonin trap in your brain, triggering the reward center over and over and over again because you're reinforcing these weak connections in your brain. And you cannot forget anything and you cannot lose any information. And the long-term effects, you're starting to see what happens when like a grown adult like is connected to the kid in high school that like beat the crap out of them. Mm. Like you're starting to see like there are things that we should be able to forget. Mm -hmm. And it's really... The amount of time that you get back in your life that you can do other things with when you lose uh, Facebook and um, Instagram is amazing. So basically, this social media craze is um, 
even though they throw the word social in there, it's almost like the opposite of social that you that humans were kind of meant to be in the first place. As you said, there's there's it sounded like a level of interaction that you could have of like, oh, I'm going to like your photo third cousin of your mm-hmm. graduation from years and years back versus, as you said, all right, there's another level of effort <clears throat> excuse me, that you can put into it. Call me, email me. Hey, yeah. how about look me in the face at our next get together and tell me about Bobby's graduation. Let me see Bobby in person. Let me shake his hand personally. You know? Yeah. And on that, like, um, it was one of the Malcolm Gladwell books, either The Tipping Point or Link, um, where he talks about the Quakers and how the Quakers in early America, as soon as the group reached a certain size, I don't remember what that size was. It was like 128 or 200. It was a, it was a, just a pre-described size that they it would split into. It would break off into two. And then as soon as each of those grew, because they knew that you could not have more than that number of distinct meaningful interpersonal connections i think that number is around 200 or 250 and it's yeah. referred to as the dunbars yes number. yes yes that so if you if you overlay that against like i've got three thousand fault like friends on facebook yeah but like are they really your fucking friends like that's the <laughs> that's the deeper question right mm-hmm. and how valuable are those connections and do you, you find those weak do you really get value out of those weak connections or do you feel like you should because that's what facebook tells you you should it's a bit of a little bit of column a a little bit of column b i mean if you have someone who's let's just say in real life playing the social game and they're just quote socially awkward they can't actually mm-hmm. talk to people when they're around people they're shy or uh they're just always constantly um tripping over themselves embarrassing themselves in social situations here you come out with this uh technology where it's it's essentially a different game Mm -hmm. you don't actually have to interact with them by talking one-to-one now you have something that's quantified hey look at the number of likes i got hey look at the number of comments i can get on this go ahead oh oh, yeah so don't confuse everything i'm saying with the broad with social media in general okay so this would be a good time to contrast twitter so i'm a very active user on twitter i've got maybe 500 followers i follow maybe two to four hundred people and i'm continuously pruning it because you cannot follow i mean the amount of twitter can get very very uneasy um but i do feel a need to to be connected to a to this social happening in the world and the thing Mm -hmm. i like about twitter is the people i've you get to choose the people that you want to follow on twitter right Mm. so on twitter you get to choose your friends and family (laughs) in the real world you don't always get to i mean on facebook specifically like you have to connect with all of your aunts all of your uncles all your coworkers, all everybody like this person that you played a cult with that one time this can't you uh, just deny their friend requests or not request them in general yeah, yeah but I, I don't think the average person the average person does mm. because um, i succumb to it yeah oh you want to be my friend okay because i come back to like if you look at if we then pivot to the infosec view of the world right so if i'm an attacker and i want to get into an organization mm. employees who have like a a Facebook account are going to be the pathway one. You create a persona and you send them a friend mm. request and we, and you see if they bite and if they bite the amount of information you get 
from that per I mean, you might get pictures of their office, you might get their likes, so you can then craft an email to them that's going to be a lot more highly effective. Um, this gets down to the targeting aspect, right? Like yes. if you if you follow my Twitter, yeah, you'll get a, a good sense of things um, I like, but you're not. I mean, I can I have much more control of it. Yes, um, much I think more. this I think this might be a a, a good transition just. Uh, because you dropped the term uh, a couple of times, infosec. Infosec, okay. Yeah, and I think we have a, a good majority of, of listeners who think they know what that is. I think they've seen uh, some <laughs> hacker movies. I know some of our old school <laughs> listeners. They've seen war games, which, if you have with Matthew Broderick, you probably have a you know ninety percent better view of infosec than a lot of people in the world. Um, but why don't you just go, go into that in general? Of sure. Your background in that. Yeah, so um, InfoSec is short for Information Security. So if you think of the world of security as a tree, right? At the top of the tree, you have the terms security. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm a security expert, right? Um, I'm not, but if you were. Then branching down into these, you at the first level, you have things like physical. Like, can I circumvent a lock? Like your car lock or like your front door. Yeah, like your front door. Like if I wanted to break into your house, could I? Mm. Right? Um, mm-hmm. And doing those types of assessments and being able to design physical things that keep people out. And that's a very different job than information security. Mm-hmm. But it's applicable for information security when you're talking about a group of servers in a room that you want to keep attacker, an attacker away from. You need to lock them up. So you do need to have an appreciation for, like, the walls, like some of the places where you and I have worked where you could cut through the sheetrock to get to the server, the locked. Yes. Right? Like, yep. so, like, there are degrees of security um, in there. But, like, if you go down all of those branches, information is essentially anything computer, anything software, anything hardware uh, nowadays because hardware is increasingly, I don't know, no longer analog. Um, yeah, so um, InfoSec, um, as a career, um, I graduated college in 2000. I worked at a company where Eki and I overlapped for a period of time from 2000 until 2009. And then from 2009 until 2015, I worked at Exedium, mm-hmm. where Exedium got acquired by Computer Associates. Um, mm-hmm. Worked there for two years until... I left there late last year and joined a new company at the beginning of this year, um, Opaque, which is headquartered down in Herndon, which is an early stage startup founded by the a bunch of people from um, Exedium. Very so, cool. Yeah. And at each of those, I've done some amount of some different type of work. Um, most of my experience is on the product side. So keeping the product completely safe, um, coordinating pen tests, um, doing assessments, mm-hmm. But increasingly, increasingly, increasingly moving into more, more broad stuff as I progress in my career. Um, and just to preface everything as well, too, as Ryan had mentioned, we had overlapped in our careers. Uh, he, he's being very gracious there. He was actually the start of my career. <laughs> so uh, I was just a fledgling graduate out of college, and I, I got the school of hard knocks. And I would say a good amount of principles and knowledge I have about software development or anything with computers comes from 
uh, Ryan, where he, there's a, there's a lot of great teachings he, he taught me. In fact, I got to flex that at Exidium. Uh, there's a little joke I wanted to, to tell you. It was, uh, there was like one day, I forgot what happened, but there was some like passwords uh, for the, 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 some default thing. I forgot what it was, but it boiled down to this. Uh, we, could, we, we forgot what the passwords were for it, but everyone else had their own individual passwords to get into one of these uh, mediums. And uh, so uh, the sys admin at the time walked over to me and goes, hey, I can't get into this. Hey, Eck, what's your password? And then I, I just basically said, uh, no. And then one of our other coworkers, Larry, was cracking up, and he goes, "Congratulations, Zeki! You've you've passed security 101." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> nice. I, and but I think it, it comes into. I mean, you threw a couple of other terms out there. Um, oh yeah. A, a lot of people start to think of security as as just like that Hollywood kind of like hacker. It's always mm. the guy who's you know uh, they're working with, against Tom Cruise. They're go, they're working against the clock, trying to. Uh, and they type really fast for some reason, and whoever <laughs> types faster into the computer seems to get uh, whatever break open the bank vault. Mm -hmm. um, you would throw in a term in there, pen testing for penetra oh, yes, yes. Uh, for yep. penetration testing. So I think a lot of people don't uh, don't know the world of. They always see it as in like, oh, I'm just trying to break into something. Why don't you explain like the flip side of that? Yeah. So. Um in the world in which I live, you basically have two sides. You have a blue team and you have a red team, or a blue side and a red side. So you have a defensive side and and an offensive side. Um, and you really need to, if you're an attacker, you have to have expert understanding of the defensive side. And if you're a defender, in order to do your job, you need to have pretty expert understanding of the attacker side. And if you look at the economies of that equation, the defender always has a problem because if you look at the security very broadly as a group of things as a system right and, the, and you're getting into a different school of thought and you can google this school of thought like system thought and system theory and designing systems right it's a collection of discrete things with integration points the, that collection of things and then uh, if you then from there posit that no software is perfect, all mm -hmm. software has bugs, given enough time, an attacker will find some problem in any thing of software. Mm -hmm. So an attacker only needs to find one problem uh. in the whole scheme of things to find a way in. Mm -hmm. And then once they're in, once they're through that crunchy perimeter, there's a really soft and squishy center <laughs> where yeah. and I'm getting into the exceedium talking points here, yeah. but um, yeah, so and that's typically how an attack works. So if we extend the example I used earlier, I friend you on a social media platform. I find out that you like like um, like um, Metallica. I send you an email saying there's a flash sale of tickets this mm -hmm. coming Saturday. Click here and log in with your Ticketmaster with, and then, or like if I thought like, like from your HR person or something, click here and log in using your AD credentials. And now I have your AD credentials. Mm. Or if I take you to a website and you have to install some software so you can participate in the flash sale, right? Yep. That's what that software is doing. It's not giving you a flash <laughs> sale. It's giving me a reverse shell into your whole secure enclave that your security group spent years and months architecting. Yep. So, the economies of the equation are freaky. The attacker always has an advantage. Mm -hmm. 
So as a defender, you've got a really hard job. You've got to go to conferences and understand what the what things attackers are currently currently looking at, what techniques they're currently using, and then how those could be used against your product. And mm. that was essentially the job I had for a lot of years. Um, but yeah, so penetration testing is when you hire a group a, a you hire a third party to come into your organization and do a test of a security system. It could be a product, it could be I want to see if I can break into the building and implant a uh, microphone in the conference room. Like you can scope these out however you want. That's some but, James Bond shit right there. Yeah, but the whole idea of of a pen test, depending on the degree of it and how much you want to pay for it, <laughs> is to really emulate a sophisticated attacker. Mm-hmm. And given this day and age of the internet, yep. um, a sophisticated attacker can be just about anybody. So then you get into the targeting side of it. So if you posit that... Anybody can do it. Your goal is to make yourself not a target. Mm-hmm. And I think what we found there is that there's, as, as you said, soft targets. You can you can attack them with software. You can hit them with. Uh, I'm sure people, have, uh, <coughs> excuse me, o- overheard the terms of not well, you know, viruses, phishing scams. Those all kind of play into it. I think you introduced a very uh, interesting element when you talked about how no, no software is perfect, and usually uh, it's a result of like humans make that software. So totally. So well, obviously as as of now, because there are now AIs that are mm-hmm. starting to write software, but mm-hmm. which is scary as shit. It I is. Will say, it but is. We, 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 we moving on. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, since humans write software, obviously they can be flawed, and obviously they will make a mistake, and then it comes into another. Uh, I was joking, but it is actually a legit course of, quote, attack, which Mm -hmm. is social engineering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Which is you can have the best uh, um, security system set up. You could have it in Fort Knox. You could have not only physical security, like, uh, you know, double, triple uh, plated titanium doors that not even, you know, a 50 cal or whatever Mm -hmm. type of explosive can blow blow up. Not even freaking lasers will get through it. But then all you need is, uh, you know, Jimmy at the front yeah. desk who just happens to be there on, on and just be a little asleep. Hey, Jimmy, uh, you know, I'm here from Domino's Pizza or something like that. Can I get mm-hmm. in? Sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I like pizza, too. And next thing you know, that person's in. Yeah. And you just and and three billion dollars or what have you of, of physical or hardware security is bypassed by your, your hourly security card. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or some contractor that you've over provisioned access to. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's a free it, it's freaky because, I mean, if you really examine the security of a system. You immediately uh, the first thing that you need to appreciate is there's no such thing as a perfectly secure thing. Right. So if you're if you're if you're a perfectionist, if you are if you think that there is anything in this world that can be perfect, Mm. um, come back when you've (laughs) when you've gotten over that, because I think and this gets back to the world is imperfect. People are imperfect. I mean, Mm. I don't think anything I don't think I, I don't think anything in our understanding of geology, the world, physics, history, humans, sh- shows perfection. Absolutely. 
Um, you look at you look at history. It's just uh, this war, this bloodbath, this chaotic event after the next after that. I mean, we correct, we try to correct yeah. every once in a while, but then here comes the next thing. You know. So uh, last night there was a two part thing on the History Channel, I think, and it was fascinating because the History Channel and the Smithsonian Channel have been running a lot of Hitler and. World War II stuff as of late, and it's interesting. I mean, it's good mm. to like. I mean, it was. It's a fascinating. Oh, I love that subject. stuff. I, I, yeah. I played a bunch of World War II flight simulators. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. In the day, so I dig all that stuff up. But you don't usually hear about what happened after World War II. You don't usually okay. hear a ton about the, the uh, Marshall Plan. You don't hear about how like the Soviets got to Berlin first, mm. and they they basically they basically sacked it hmm. for lack of a. Better phrase, keeping it clean, because the kids are going to be hearing this eventually. Yep. Um, and just the the migration of people and how the German um, SS officers, ironically, had to f- had to follow the same uh, migration path as the Jews fleeing. Um, just like all that context and all that history left. Like I feel like in all the history I see on television, all the things I read. You, you people have gone so deep on World War II, and then they've gone really deep on like JFK, and but there's this little blind spot in there. Like I, I, I don't feel like there's enough time spent talking about the rebuilding of Europe. And if you've, mm-hmm. ever, if you've ever gone over there, like it's amazing t- to see like the old interspersed with the relatively new, and the relatively new is relatively new because it was destroyed in World War II. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and just for context, um, we sure. have um, moved on to the Angels Envy part of the show. We have, uh, and this is another big part because you were actually not only my introduction into, well, proper introduction into information security and hmm. programming, but the big part of that was that you were my proper introduction into scotches, bourbons, and whiskeys. Because before that, didn't really know anything about it, hmm. and I just went, oh, you know, uh, I saw on Swingers that this guy wore doors <laughs> on the rocks, right? So my first drink that I try at a, at a bar was bottom shelf or mid shelf doors or whatever it was. Yeah. And you might as well have just poured that on a steel chair to remove its paint. <laughs> and I was like, ah! So yeah. um, you, on the other hand, have accumulated quite a, a lot of knowledge and experience in, in the area of not only bourbons and whiskeys, but also in uh, homebrew. I'm going to generalize and say alcohol because over mm. the last few years I've been going really deep on wine. So, specifically California, specifically Anapa, a little bit of French, but um, yeah, I enjoy drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do believe I'm going to live a nice long life because I have a drink a day. <laughs> um, and I ch- change it up. I mean, and if you look at the history of alcohol, I mean, again, it's fascinating, right? I mean, humankind stumbled upon alcohol because people would drink water from a creek and then drop dead, mm-hmm. right? So don't drink the water, right? So, but somehow they found out if they left that water in a jug for a period of time, when they came back to it, they would drink it. They wouldn't. They wouldn't actually die, and they could talk to God. Free, uh, the, the air quotes. Yeah. 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 Well, no. <laughs> yep. Like they. They. The the pre Egyptian like original p- people who were were attributed. I mean, there's documented. They thought that it brought them. They thought that being drunk was 
bringing them closer to mm-hmm. the gods. And you can understand when you drink alcohol. Yes. If you don't understand anything about how it became alcohol or you just think you're drinking, you're drinking some elixir that makes you feel fantastic Mm -hmm. and it doesn't kill you. Right. Like, don't forget that part. It doesn't kill you. Mm. So, um, wait, it it doesn't kill you. It doesn't kill you. Exactly. Even though, wait, are are we still talking about like alcohol poisoning? Alcohol. Well, yeah. I mean, if you drink enough of it, it can kill you, but I mean, you really have to, I mean, you really have to drink a lot of it to die. And the only people who die from alcohol poisoning are like frats who do like stupid shit mm-hmm. um, under the guise of peer pressure. Like no human would ever drink that much. Like you okay. would pass out first mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you don't have like other people pouring it down your throat. But um, that's the genesis. And then you go through the Egyptians and then you then you branch out. Right. And you see how like up in the scotches parts of the the world i found how how to that the 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 key thing to why scotch from those areas of scotland are so good is entirely it is mostly based in the water Mm -hmm. and that's true of almost all um alcohol so when you brew beer when you start to really hone in on crap on home brewing beer from around the world you see, like, these beers from here were r- really dark because that water was really high in gypsum. This is, like, an amber color. Mm-hmm. Like, you extract a, a more amber color out of the same grain because the pH level isn't the same, and you do that. But So, just the the common history for all things alcohol, the, the place it has in humankind keeping us alive when we couldn't drink the water because it would kill us... Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way that alcohol, above all else, has a way to bring people together. Like, we are right here now today talking about this. I just spent, cheers, buddy. Cheers. I just spent a couple of days out in Napa going to three or four, three or four, three or four wineries oh, a day. Got to eat at the amazing French Laundry, a three-star restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, a, culinary, a culinary experience, but... The alcohol that was part of all of those was the conversation piece. I was out there had my wife and two really great friends. We just had an amazing time. Um, I've gone to the great the great American beer festival. Um, exact same friend. Like we're talking about going to Oktoberfest at some point. Like alcohol, when used correctly, like all things, responsibly, like yeah. like, like handguns, like all things <laughs> in this world, used yep. responsibly. Is a perfectly safe and perfectly fun um, thing to do on the weekends and um, after work, but never during work. <laughs> Maybe a drink at lunch occasionally, <laughs> but not every day because that becomes a habit. They do say that. They but, say that alcohol is uh, the, uh, a social lubricant, if you will. Yes. So, um, and I'm sure everyone has, has gotten into that saying, oh, you know, I'm going to have a drink here. Take, what is it? They, they say, uh, take the hair off of the edge. What, what's the saying? Take, take the, the edge off or a, a hair of the dog. The hair of the there. dog is if you're hungover, mm. when you drink alcohol to cure your hangover, that's having a hair of the dog. And that's with, uh, what is that? Bloody Mary's, right? That's I, I think that's whatever wonderful. alcohol you want it to be. <laughs> Preferably the same alcohol that you drank to get hungover from. Plus, you get the what is it? Is that is that beet juice, carrot juice? What's in a bloody? I forgot. Well, um, I, I can't stand those tomato things. tomato juice. T- tomato right? juice, yeah. But yeah, yeah I'm I, I'm really not a, a huge cocktail fan. Like, hmm. I'm, I'll have a good cocktail from time to time, but 
You're a straight no chaser type of person. I'm more interested in do you have a good scotch? Do you have a good bourbon? Do you have something craft beer on top? Do you have a red wine from Anapa? Like that's typically my my playbook as I wander through. Mm. And there what are, about a good like old fashioned or a Manhattan? Well, from there, if they yes. don't have any of okay. those, then if you have a passable bourbon, <laughs> I'll put it into a cocktail. Um, yeah. The only other so, have you ever heard of Old Pappy? Mm, Pap Van Pappy yes. Van Winkle. Yes. yes. So I've had to ha- I've had that three times in my life. That's like the super. Is that like the number one or something? How much are we talking about? Well, so there are places that will sell it to you by a glass, and mm-hmm. the glass is like I mean, so just like all. Everything of this kind, there are like um, ages, right? So, mm-hmm. like the cheap one is going to be eighty bucks. You, a glass. You can spend five hundred dollars on a on, on like a like if I wanted to drink one as old as I am, which is an ongoing goal that gets more expensive every year. Um, <laughs> which I'm hoping to do um, after an exit in the future, but yes. um, yeah. <laughs> Um, a very expensive goal, but yeah, um, you 500. can, if you can find a bottle, I mean, <coughs> oh. you can spend thousands of dollars on the bottles Jesus. on the black market. Um, but it's really that good. It wow. really is that good. So if you ever have an opportunity to try it, um, if you're ever in San Diego, I know of a bar that again, you can have them buy the glass. I'm going to stick a pretty with, reasonable port. I'm going to stick with the uh, bourbon and uh, angels envy. Look at this. Yeah. Affordable. And, and look at the craftsmanship on that. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the first things that like popped out to people because, uh, and, and I t- uh, take all your credit for it because you introduced it to me first. And then I have been buying that as gifts for a lot of other uh, mm. people who are just getting into bourbon. It's a good, it's a good, it's, it's it a is. fantastic everyday bourbon. Yeah. And uh, the, one of the things that they always talk about, especially after they finish the bottle, they go, oh, my God, I never noticed the, the angel wings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that are on it. This bottle yeah. is beautiful. And, and, and I, I love seeing people who, like, keep, keep it behind and, like, oh, thank you so much for yeah. introducing it to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, came up all that with myself. <laughs> all of it by myself. But, of course, credit to you for uh, in, in, introducing that to me. I think the first good scotch I ever had. Like I said, when at after my uh, ordeal with uh, doors, the uh, bottom shelf doors or whatever, it was when we were mm-hmm. in Canada for that one time, and you actually introduced me to like a, a, a few scotches. So my first good, good scotch okay. was yeah, 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 in Canada, yeah, out of all yeah. places, Ottawa, and it was like snowing the next day. Yeah, but that that shouldn't really. That's not really of all places. I mean. Mm. So, as we go on a tangent, because that's what podcasts are all about, especially as as you're drinking. Do you watch The Curse of Oak Island? I do not. Okay, so the basic premise of The Curse of Oak Island, there's an island up in Canada, Oak Island. It's in... Is this on Netflix? Is this on... It's on uh, uh, the History Channel. It's on a cable. Okay. It's on a a, a television channel. Um, For about... 150 years, there's been a belief that there's some treasure buried there. There's dispute on if it's actual treasure or if it's like the original manuscripts of Shakespeare or if it like, like is it is is this like a urban urban legend? Was this like something as you said in a, a literary well, reference so, over and over? So yeah, this gets as you go down the history of the early Canadian people, mm-hmm. what um, Americans have Indians, 
Canadians have um, original Indians as well. They mm-hmm. call them something else. I'm drawing a blank. The Tagma or something like that. That's mm-hmm. incorrect. Um, somebody can they, comment people on People can Google on it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, they have this history of this, this g- g- god coming in from the ships, bringing all... And they're like forging a partnership and there's all these carvings on rocks and it's largely believed to be this Scottish knight that you can trace and like the the, the actual show has like gone back to Scotland and like gone through like the family's books and like there was a ship that went to Oak Island Mm -hmm. and they're they're unpacking that whole thing from like from a lot of levels but the thing that really like you hear things every day, every week, every month that blow your mind on some level. Mm-hmm. But one thing recently that really blew my mind on like a like an average level was that like Columbus didn't really discover America. Yeah. Right. So like that's like one of those things that you're taught like like you're taught that so much as a kid, like uh-huh. 1492, like you know that thing. Uh, so was it the Nina, the Pinta, the yeah. Santa Maria? But like yep. it turns out that there were all these these other like scottish folks that came like there's geological evidence there's so and that pisses off all of the italian americans um and i'm a quarter italian (laughs) so i have an appreciation for that view of the world but like um columbus all throughout history like there are people who get to actually write history columbus was one of those guys who got to actually write history oh yeah because uh, that is it? all the, 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 the victors get <laughs> to uh, re, re, rewrite yeah. how that battle went. No, nah, it was me. I swept them for nothing. That's what it was. No, nah, well, well, didn't you lo- almost lose exactly. in double overtime in game seven? No, nah, it was a sweep <laughs> for, for, for nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, another aspect I, I wanted to get into, since you were so deep into uh, uh, politics as well, too, intersecting with InfoSec. I remember after the the, the recent election um, that uh, the news came up that obviously there was, oh, there's Russian ties into everything. I remember the uh, one of the first dinners we had after that news story broke was that you, you pointed, you go, I told you so. You, <laughs> you, had, you had called it. And this is something that you had called mainly because of uh, delving uh, and following uh, uh, the latest trends in InfoSec. Why don't you give a brief overview of what yeah. was going on there? Yeah, so here's where you, you, get, you get into the things, things like ground truth, things like absolute fact, right? Ground truth? Yeah, so the idea of ground truth is like th- something that is factually true, un- undisputably true. The sky is blue. Objective and yeah. objectively true. Okay. Um, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Mm-hmm. So rises in the west and sets in the... I, s- I set s- in the west. Yeah, sure. you're right. It rises in the east and sets in the west. I s- this I, bourbon's good, everybody. It's called I, Angel's Envy. No, no, right? no. So, it was, so, okay. so <laughs> like... So it's hilarious because Christy screws up screws up left and right. I screw up east and west. I just always have. I have to look at a map. I have to like use a GPS. Um, I suck at it. So where was I? <laughs> <laughs> we were on objective uh, ground truth. Objective you were defining yeah. ground truth. Yeah. So, and if you're going to take things that Donald Trump says as president as truth, you and I are not going to have the same. Mm-hmm. view of the world. So why I had such an early why I had such early views on Russia's invo- involvement in our election, it was just simply 
it was simply fact. And mm-hmm. honestly, right now, there's a lot of anger that I think should be thrown at the Obama um, administration for... And I heard this point on um, a show the other day. They were more concerned with the outcome of the election than the actual elections. Hmm. So there was a presumption that Hillary was going to win and they would just let this play. Let this manipulation by a foreign government on our elections play. I'll say that again. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a registered Democrat. I wouldn't say I'm a total liberal. I have very unique views. I can mm-hmm. like the Obama on the general and critique him on the specific. And this is one of the specific I don't agree with how this whole thing was handled. Because what really started it for me was April of that year. I was at a conference. And there was a guy who was a former general um, intelligence officer who is now a private contractor who gave an hour and a half long keynote on Russia's electronic warfare capabilities. Hmm. So I talked about information security. Electronic warfare is generally all non-kinetic war that an army or a AM military can um, affect. So there is an intersection so, with infosec. Well, oh, it is almost entirely Overla- where, big it, overlap it, there. It is the place where infosec lives in in military strategy, mm-hmm. right? So it was a fascinating talk, but he was giving specific examples. Here are the here are the planes that they have that can jam the signal and they can emulate a cell site, so they can send so. Essentially, what was happening, Jeez. all of the Ukrainian soldiers on the Crimea front, they would fly these planes over that basically have a stingray that, that is a device that emulates a cell phone tower. So all of the cell phones in the pockets of all of the soldiers, and they would receive texts like really, really horrifying words that would fall under the category of psychological Oh, warfare. Mm-hmm. Some of these would be really targeted. They would look the person up. They would find out that wow. their their mom is in a home. They would say like, "You're we just went to the home and like burnt it to the ground." So you're evil. Mother is where she belongs. Oh. I, I mean, that's the G rated, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, when you get that over and over and over and over and multiple times a day, like it be again. This gets into when you can be targeted. Somebody can manipulate you. Whether mm-hmm. you want to or not, your brain cannot prevent it. No mm. matter how smart you are, you can try to... No matter how smart or good-hearted that you feel you are. Yeah, because we all... The, the brains are super complex. Um, yep. Yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought again. Uh, satellite hijacking. The, yeah, the so, stingrays oh, were going yeah, so, over and they were targeting. So a fascinating talk, and he was... A, and he was Basically, you left it as all of the chatter is they're they're attacking social media. They're targeting these areas. Like he basically laid out what was going to happen um, on a smaller scale than it ended up happening. So the people in the information security world knew that all of this traffic was coming in from Russia. Mm-hmm. We have analytics. We keep an eye on the pipes. We know. I mean, very while the 
before the election, we knew it was coming from this specific building in Russia that was the IRA, the Internet Research Association. Like, we didn't really do the deep dive on it yet to figure out that they were basically co- contractors on the behalf of the state of Russia. Mm. But, like, that gets into the stuff that didn't happen, why I'm upset with the Obama um, administration. But um, it was widely understood as ground truth in my view of the world, that Russia was manipulating our elections. And if anybody wants to contest that view of the world based on what they saw Sean, Sean Hannity say, mm-hmm. be happy to have that conversation because I, I just took a half an hour, or no, not a half an hour, but I, I, yeah. but I, I mean, it's, it's not a talking point. It's not a thing that you can sum up in a soundbite. It's yeah. a nuanced point that depends on facts and indicators. And if you take a look at the report that the government that like 18 intelligence agencies all signed off on, like that is what that is fact Um, that 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 fact has been corroborated by numerous private entities on the Internet. So it's fact. And this is something that this is one of the uh, is it the one factor that resulted in the election outcome or is it just one of many or is it like an influencer or is it so here's the thing people always want to figure out what the one thing is and again complex super complex our electoral system is a super complex system it's very hard it's designed to be resilient against one person doing one thing for profit Mm -hmm. right and the electoral college, I mean, really plays in here, right? And I'm a big advocate of abolishing it because it allows you to play the game I'm about to explain. And people are going to say, well, it's in the Constitution. Yeah, but why was it? In, why is it in the Constitution? Because when the Constitution was written in the 1700s, we didn't have cars, we didn't have roads, we didn't have airplanes. Mm-hmm. People had to physically come to Washington to do the ratification vote. That happens like two months uh, that happens a month after the friggin election right so like you get elected in in uh, november you're ratified like december 10th or something and then you get sworn in on january 20th Mm. so the electoral college was designed if you read all of the early federalist papers supporting it like i think it's time to really have a conversation around do we need that mm-hmm. because it allows you to say use a cambridge analytica which you've covered on a previous what? we we podcast. mentioned that and the high level okay. view is so that they stole information high level, well, or they, they were sold information so what cambridge analytica did to me it's not so much about was it illegal because i think at the end of the day, what we're going to find is people using Facebook clicked through a 500-page EULA that let them do that thing. The question that regulators have to ask themselves is, is that a fair operating model, mm. right? Like, should you be able to trade away your psychological profile, which you can now, for a lifetime, be micro-targeted? You just reminded me of that uh, South Park episode, the human <laughs> sensei I've had. Did you ever see that one? I don't think so. The 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 summary of it, and to tie it back into what you were saying, is that uh, Apple comes out with a, a, a EULA, uh, end-user license <laughs> agreement, which obviously no one ever reads, mm. for whenever iTunes gets updated. And uh, one of them, in the last line, 
was that, oh, you reserve the right to let us uh, take you hostage <laughs> and put you into an experiment where we use you in a human uh, centipede experiment. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. And, and uh, yes, I think I, it was yes, Kyle. Kyle just always clicks on it. And then <clears throat> he gets thrown into it where his mouth gets sewn to the yeah. butthole of like someone else. Yeah. And it's like, how come? No, this is. And then everyone's like, well, did you read the EULA? He was like, yeah. no one reads the EULA. Like, I read the EULA. And, and yeah. even like Butters is just like, well, well, let's see here. Yes, page 507. Oh, there it is right there. I agreed to get my mouth sewn to a butthole. Nope. <laughs> <Not clicking. laughs> so, anyway, yes, but yeah. go on with uh, the EULA tied into Facebook and what people are. Yeah. So a long time ago, Facebook had a policy where this researcher at a university could pull down basically raw data on people who op who people who opted in who are paid like between one and five friggin dollars this is how oh, corruptible yeah. people are um, and again like if i'm an attacker if i want to send you an email a fetching attack to get you to click on a link mm-hmm. there's going to be some type of like a, a kept card involved or like i said like a flash sale on a Metallica ticket. So there's going to be some tangible. There's going to be candy like, at the end of the or rainbow. Or even just like a news article. You won't believe what happens next. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So. Where was I? So we're. Uh, so <laughs> like we're, I said, I do that a lot. I know. We're about, we're we're fishing. We're about to uh, tie. Uh, kind of explain what Cambridge Analytica Cambridge did Analytica, in, yeah. in relation to yeah. the current election and what you were. Yeah. How essentially this researcher was able to get about 80 million full profiles that he then sold to a private company, Cambridge Analytica, who then, and to this day kind of still is in other countries around the world, um, because you don't usually hear talked about what they did or or are doing in Africa. You're hearing about what they did in Brexit, but um, they then took that information and figured out what specific geographic areas they needed to micro-target to, to spend all of their, to, to really optimize their use of Trump's time and Trump's mm-hmm. advertising dollars to flip voters to get the electoral math correct. Specifically for, as you said, this game of the electoral college. The game college. of the electoral college. And this, this gets into why like Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin. Like for like the whole time, and Trump ended up winning because, and he spent a lot of cash there, and that's a state that everybody expected to. Um, again, like this last election, mm-hmm. conventional thought and groupthink <laughs> reign supreme, um, and the amount of people who laughed and just outright dismissed the whole idea of Donald Trump becoming president. I mean, I was one of the few people really, really early on who was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> yeah, this is gonna, this could happen because." The Democrats really needed somebody better than Hillary. Yep. Um, at the end of the story. And this kind of ties into the very beginning of the podcast of when we were talking about fear, uncertainty, doubt. Yeah. We were talking about uh, McDojo's or uh, uh, certain uh, business models where they capitalize on basic either like human emotion of just as you said. Oh, uh, everyone wants to, there's something inside them of like, Hey, if they give up some resources in order to get on the fast track to achieve their goal, Mm -hmm. they'll capitalize on that. So this is just like another, uh, human vulnerability of, Hey, here's some key phrases, uh, whether you're, you're left or you're right, that if I say this key phrase and you read it, it's almost 
uh, we've analyzed all this history of other people's posts or their reactions to it. Yeah. That, and, that and they can com- push you towards a specific reaction. And two, I think, specific examples of that that ties back to Cambridge Analytical are coal and manufacturing jobs. Like, does anybody think that we need more coal jobs in this country? Mm. Or do we do we think that that's a technology that served a very important place in time that has now passed, and maybe they should be retrained to do solar and wind mm-hmm. or something else? <laughs> but you reword it in such a way where it makes it sound like hold yeah. on to what you yeah. grew up with. Uh, yeah, we're going to bring back and, our hard earned yeah. coal. Like you're yeah. going to go to coal country and all mm-hmm. the right, and then like the jobs at the factory. Like are pe- like are people really clamoring to go back to the fucking factory? Yeah, or should we be saying like? Uh, like I keep every time I go to like like an RSA conference or like one of these big information security conferences, you hear about the massive gap in security professionals that we have. Like millions of jobs go that like right now, if you took a couple of Coursera's and you learned a fucking code, you could go do that. You could get an entry level job as mm-hmm. a security person, making like fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year off the bat. Like, but you need to. And here's where, like, you really, you really get upset because there's this tremendous opportunity for the right president mm-hmm. to say, like, this is the American, this is the American way: creative destruction. We create, and then you need to destroy and create right on top of the stuff that you like. That is the that is the engine that our that our country needs to stay competitive. The cre- you create. You, de- you destroy old technologies and mm. you move into new ones. So you destroy the coal jobs and you create solar – you create jobs in solar and wind. You, cre- you destroy manufacturing jobs and you train some of them to maintain the robots that are taking their fucking jobs over, right? Because <laughs> there's always going to be humans to yeah. install software updates to keep them secure, to tune them, to be responsible for their actions because you can't sue a robot yet and certain – Insurance companies are going to want liability protections, right? So, like, jobs are, like, you always hear this, like, uh, AI and, and the robots are going to take all of our jobs. There's an asterisk. They're going to take most of our jobs. Mm. And some of us, like the two people at this table who have skills to survive in the 21st century are going to do, do just fine. Well, I, I, I hope so. You'll I hope do fine. I, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I'll, I'll come to you when there's uh, more deeper InfoSec problems <laughs> that I need an expert with. <laughs> but if uh, you need someone who's uh, uh, pretty decent at guitar and some professional wrestling uh, trivia, then yeah, <laughs> you, you just call me. I only bring that in briefly because all this talk of what you're saying as far as like, it's basically manipulation. When oh, you, yeah. When you, when you, when you talk it's about entirely, just, yeah. just finding these key phrases and getting a, a specific reaction out of people. And I've said it since day one of, of this podcast. As a, as a wrestling fan, I think um, I've uh, also rose to almost to that point where like, I can almost call it as well, too, because seeing those certain types of manipulation tactics, it's, it's what happens in professional wrestling all, all the time. Oh, totally. Yeah. Where in the election, it's like, hey, we're just trying to get you a vote a certain way. In professional wrestling, they're making you, they're they're playing on your emotions to one make you buy a ticket and make you uh, buy merch to for either the quote good guy or the bad guy. And there's a bunch of formulas and specific tactics that are used. 
So have you seen the Andre the Giant special have, on, on um, HBO yet? You're, you're the fifth person who. Oh has, my god! How the fuck have you not seen it? Like you busy, need man. to watch this. I've man. been busy, man. I've been watching all other oh. wrestling related things, but that's obviously now watch it's got to it. shoot to the top of my queue. Yeah. Go on, yes. Because uh, I mean, I I grew up watching it, right? I mean, I yeah. was like, I was a big like Hulk Hogan fan. Like I watched Andre the Giant. I mean, and you. As a kid, you definitely reach a point where you realize it's not real. Yes. Right? And that's an important point because either mm-hmm. you continue with it and you understand it's a form of entertainment and I mm-hmm. find this entertainment valuable or you just say, eh. Yep. I went, eh. But yep. the history up until the point I went, eh, I'm still fascinated by it. And yep. the story of Andre the Giant is really the story of the WWF mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways and just how that overlays to the... The turning this corner thing into a mainstream thing by like through things like WrestleMania and the yes. merchandise sales. The merchandise is what drives the mm-hmm. the popular culture and the psyche and brings people back and like makes us still talk about it twenty years later. Like they do it right, man. Yeah, they, they tell specific story. I remember there was one specific incident, and I'm. I'm and I'm just going by my uh, previous knowledge of it. They mm-hmm. probably covered it in the documentary that promo where uh, Andre the Giant tears off uh, uh, mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan's cross. That yep. was a big thing in establishing. Like yeah. he was always a good guy up yeah. until that point. Quote, yeah, good guy. Yeah. And so we had like, how do we make him a bad guy? Yeah, just imagine that the sight of him and Hulk Hogan was bleeding from the chest. His crucifix was was torn off. Yeah, Ooh, you, you need know? to watch. You need to watch the thing. So please. So, Absolutely. After Absolutely. you watch it, call me. I'll come back. Like we'll talk about it. Like we'll do an add-on addendum yes, if you want or something. Absolutely. But like I'd be happy to take like a half an hour because because I, I mean I thought it was super and I'd love to talk about it with you because cool. you do know your shit about that. Yes. So I'd love to. The other thing that you that you brought up that we come back to a couple of times. I'd like to like sure. spin on for a bit. <laughs> Social engineering. Go for it. Right and mm. story time and mm-hmm. understanding how people work and understanding how to say things to get a short term response and a long term response and understanding the art of pretext and yep. so there's a conference I go to out in Los Vegas every year. Um, it's called Tavcon. It's basically a four day conference. There are three or four tracks of talks where, like, hour-long talks where you go into a huge room and you hear about these cutting-edge hacks and new tools and techniques. And then there's all these little offshoot things. So, like, you can go to the you can go to the crypto and privacy village, mm-hmm. and you can hear talks specifically around cryptography, not cryptocurrency, cryptography. <laughs> just in case that word continues to be co-opted in the future, mm-hmm. cryptography and privacy you can go to the hakon village to learn how to do open source intelligence on people like some of the things i talked about earlier like creating a fake profile going on social media looking at them without them being able to trace it back to you and then using that in a pretext for a and then another village, which is always one of the most popular, is the social engineering village. And it's fun because over the over these days, they change it up. So they have this capture the flag competition where – and the people who do this are like the best of the best. Like they do this professionally. They get paid to do this as part of these assessments I talked about earlier, like a pen test, right? You're put into a soundproof room, um, headphones on. They give you a checklist. And they'll call a company. 
And there are there are a slew of ground rules, like things you can and cannot do. The room has to be quiet. You're not allowed to clap or hoot or holler or anything. You're not allowed to. There are certain things you're just not allowed to ask them to do because, again, as a social engineer, you have great power. You have to understand how to use that the right way. But you watch them, and like you get a point if you find out the op- the um, OS on their computer. You get a point if you find the name of their like wireless network. So they're, they're, this capture the flag competition is that these, these people are in, in a soundproof room and they're calling up specific companies and to try to like, fulfill these checklists. Like they'll call the goals. help desk and say, yeah, okay. like they'll call the, the Comcast help desk and say, like, I'm so-and-so out <laughs> well, of the they field. Deserve whatever Comcast. Yeah. You, anyway, go on. Like, like I'm Tommy from support. You guys opened up a ticket earlier. I need you to run a couple of diagnostics. Can you go, can you please open up your browser and go to... ATP, wow. I'm going to fucking hack your ass.com. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, they'll just blindly go to that. Okay, wow. so you're seeing a pop-up. Would you like to continue? Yeah, just um, hit okay. I didn't have a chance to sign it. Wow. Yes. And then, at the, I mean, that's literally all it takes. If I get you to do that, game over. I get paid. Like, mm-hmm. pay dirt. Like, I've now owned probably your whole friggin' organization. Mm. Because then... 90% of what people secure is the perimeter. It's trying to keep the bad people out. Once you're in, you're assumed to be trusted in most cases. So just a side tangent to that, and we'll, and we'll say that like we're working on Capture the Flag, if we want to come back to sure. it, is that this is a perfect, this is basically a somewhat malevolent person totally capitalizing on the benevolent or kind-hearted nature of someone. Yeah, essentially. So yeah. Uh, when people say, "Well, oh, well, you know, I'm just kind. I'm good. I'm, I would never do anything bad." And it's hilarious because the, the the ones that like the super helpful, the one who won, I think, the last two years is a girl. A yeah. fan, and she's fantastic because she yeah. just puts on that charm. That mm. and if I mean they, I mean every man knows women hold a power over us. They can say, <laughs> and she exploits like with the intonation of her voice and like little things, and she, but. Yeah, so it's fascinating just watching how they can, and then and then the other the the, the other days are just really interesting talks, mm-hmm. and all of the talks are just like from people who do this professionally, tools and techniques that that they use. But if you go there and if you really examine the world of social engineering, the other thing I'll kind of put in this um, again since we're kind of queuing this up for the future as early as you can read read the book how to win friends and how to win friends and influence people dale carnegie dale carnegie that was the first self-improvement book i ever read oh yeah oh okay yeah yeah holds Um, a dear place in my heart yeah i mean but i mean that really is a lot of what you need to know to be a social engineer i mean like and i'll also point out on the on the growth radiant or the scale of goodness social engineering is the polite and ethical way of saying a con man yes because con men or i mean con men use the exact same techniques Mm -hmm. this is why i mean i can decode a donald trump speech and it's interesting it's so interesting if you read a donald trump speech versus watching it Yes, like the arm, like how he uses his hands, the mm-hmm. the timing and intonation of his speech, the facial expressions, the way he uses <coughs> the crowd to amp up and amplify and parlay into a larger crowd thing. Like mm. there are hallmarks if you know what to look for. Like you're primed, and you like I can't even watch a Donald Trump speech not because <laughs> of the content, because I just want to like 
like, you want to do it as, yeah, as like, objective as possible. Like, if you want to do it, do it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did I ever tell you uh, about the, the violin competition where they... Uh, no. They took a group of people. Uh, th- this violin competition had already passed. And what they did was they took uh, half the crowd. Uh, not even half... Not, not half the crowd. People that had never seen the competition before. They took, let's mm-hmm. say, a sample size of 100 people. 50 people got to listen to, but no visual. They got to listen to uh, the performers. Okay. The other half got to only watch, no audio. Ah. The people, and then after they were done, they were asked, who do you think won the competition? The people who, were, who watched the competition, but no audio, like there was a, a huge disparity, like 50% better at guessing who won hmm. the competition. So that ties yeah. it. I that ties into what you were just saying about visuals, as far as like someone giving even giving a political speech. Yeah, and kind of tying this right back to alcohol, right? Oh, so geez. as I down the finish, the last of this. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. So this is true of most alcohol, but specifically wine. Mm-hmm. If you want to really taste a wine, like after you do the things, like you aerate it, you allow it to breathe, and all that. Try to drink it two ways. Hold your 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 hose closed and take a hmm. sip. Okay, and then like cut your palate clean and then swirl it. Inhale a deep breath and try to inhale as you're or like inhale and then drink. And you're gonna notice a huge disparity in how you perceive it. Because the thing is, and this is true of most things that you eat too, is that what is that the aroma and the smell. Uh, Hobbs is saying hello. Yeah, I got it. It's yeah. all right. Um, Hobbs had my cable for a second. <laughs> um, largely influences the perception of it. Yes. And, and that's also why, like, like there are some people who, like, see something and they smell it and they just won't taste it. Absolutely. Because they just can't get past that dominance of one particular sense. It, isn't the sense of smell, though, such a huge complementary aspect of taste? <clears throat> yes. But it's also the most underappreciated. Mm. I was even wondering what, when you were saying of, uh, especially with, with wine tasting, if you ever saw, there's another Netflix documentary, I think I had mentioned to you, of uh, speaking of con mans, hmm. that one con man who's like a wine connoisseur. You were talking about it, yeah. But also, it, it's like, a, it's a combination of catch me if you can, mm-hmm. and also uh, wine tasting. So he, he figured out a way to because he was he had such an incredible wine palette, he figured out ways to, to blend cheap wines yeah. in order to simulate the expensive ones and just con people out of uh, exorbitant amounts of money. Eventually gets caught on that. But, I would say. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is probably he was blending them in such a way that they tasted the same, but they probably didn't have the same aroma. And absolutely, because a lot, and you're getting into a lot of people who will purchase a really good expensive wine mm-hmm. like aren't going to treat it the right way like i can't tell you how many good wines i brought into a restaurant and they've corked it at the table yeah. and then, then we drank it and i've been like this wasn't that good what, it, what we needed to do is open it like at two o'clock in the afternoon and, and decant it for th- like like a couple of hours so there's a whole process yeah like and you're getting into like the really the finer points of it but that it's high level yeah wine people and a lot of people who spend a lot on wine are spending a lot of wine because some experts are telling them to spend a lot on that wine not because of any objective i was about to say that that like the the people who could call him out 
as far as like the objective taste testing. Such a small group of people. Exactly. Yeah. There was only a, true a, experts. Yeah. The true experts, and then like a good bunch of them were kind of like, no, this is definitely it. And it was the fact that it was in like a party setting, and so there was a little bit of social pressure. I'm like, oh, I'm enjoying this. Aren't you enjoying this? Oh yes, I'm so you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of like that uh, other social experiment of like uh, you go into an elevator, and everyone is facing the other way. Exactly. If you look. The the other way, everyone's all upset. And, and, then, and, then, and then they get in the elevator and like, all right, I guess I'm just going to face that way as opposed to, you know, everyone gets in the elevator and then they turn around to face the doors that you just came into. So, so here, here's a more interesting social experiment. Walk into an elevator. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a hacker. I do InfoSec. One of my interests, like I was saying earlier, is physical security. Um, and there's this whole school of thought of hacking elevators. And there's a lot of talks on the internet. Uh-huh. And there's it all basically centers around this whole idea of common keying. And you'll see this in multiple places in the world. That there are a lot. So, like, every elevator of a particular type uses a common key. So, I can go on eBay and I can buy that key for eight bucks. Mm. And this is like their, the master key or skeleton yeah, key, right? Yeah. But, like, <clears throat> in a hardened environment, they will take the time to change that, that lockout. But, like, most hospitals, schools, hotels, I mean, outside of like a d- d- data center that has like a SOC 2 v- v- validation, outside yeah. of a corporation that has a, ha- that has a, a pen test team or a red team like me who will do this. But like, mm-hmm. if you really want to like screw with people, head onto like a crowded elevator, take the key out, um, uh, um, unlock it, um, open it and then say, huh. And, and then, um, immediately. <laughs> and it's like, oh, cool. It works. I'll come back later. <laughs> and just watch the expressions on some people. Like it's like, uh, you have to be careful because if there's a cop or like a hotel employee, like you can really screw yourself. Yeah. But like I've done that like once or twice just because uh-huh. you buy these keys and like you want to see if they work. Did, uh, did you ever read or watch a lot of the documentaries on Richard Feynman? Not really. He was uh, obviously the world-renowned, the great explainer, great mm-hmm. uh, physicist, I, I believe, yeah. and as well as a mathematician. He also developed the legend as a, as a legendary safe cracker. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he did. So, But here's the story behind it, and it, it's covered in one of his books. He basically, when he started out, he was just interested in tinkering, tinkering around with safes. He found like the, the manual and found that there's obviously a bunch of default codes mm-hmm. to safes. And so he would go around his university and like just every once in a while enter the default code. And obviously there would be a few safes here or there. Oh, that, a lot of them probably exact, work. Yep. Most people don't change the default code. Yep. They're lazy. Yep. And so after they, they open, open the safe, uh, was, oh my God, you're, you're, you're amazing. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm amazing. You know, just, yeah. just pass that off. And then the other thing that he would do is that he would go around and he, so he would just find like for this model safe, this is usually what their default thing is. And he just keep kind of like a, a mental check of that. Mm-hmm. And so he started developing rumors of, oh, not only is Richard Feynman a great physicist, he's also a great safe cracker. Yeah. And so there was one day where uh, some they started throwing challenges to him. Like, oh, can you open this safe? Uh, apparently there's a lot of safes in the, you know, no one trusts each other at university. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, so That's he goes funny. in and he, and obviously the default code doesn't work, but then he know then he notices that like the secretary is very like friendly with him. Mm-hmm. So he would talk to her, massage a few things out and then social engineering. Exactly. Yep. And then either, I don't know, she, she kept the passcode in her, uh, you know, under the desk of that he, she did, you know, and he'd find that and 
eventually break open the safe. Then there are some of the things as you talked about where like, all right, now you have to get into the nitty gritty where like he got challenged again and he did a lot of research on this one safe and he couldn't crack it open. But then he found like similar safes that had like a, some type of like physical vulnerability of like, oh, if you tip it over this way, Mm -hmm. they have like this little latch that if you do this, you can undo it. And there's a chance that you can open the safe. Did that with that safe. Yeah. And eventually he ran into a safe that he just could not open. And they uh, all right, we have, we have to, actually call a professional safe cracker yeah. to come in. So a professional safe cracker comes in and he goes, you Richard Feynman. He goes, yeah, <laughs> I know. He goes, I hear you're a master safe cracker. Yeah. He goes, well, I heard you're one. I, I'd love to share stories of like, how, how are you going to get into the safe? And guess what? Same exact track. Yeah. This, ma- this quote, master safe cracker, you know, oh, it's usually default codes. This handles half yep. or more. I can social engineer. There's, there's some physical vulnerability. Other than that, yeah, then I, now I got to break out the blowtorch or, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and you hit the nail right there at the end, right? You hit the nail right on the head because in certain communities and in certain security communities, there's mm-hmm. this idea of security through obscurity. Where if I have a code, uh, if I have a default code, and if I have a... So how how they usually protect those is they'll publish the default code in some type of a manual, and then they'll copyright that manual. And then they'll say that manual, you have to actually sign an NDA. You have to be a locksmith to get your hands on it. Mm. So he probably, like... Spent the two hundred dollars to to go down to town hall and become a locksmith, and or then, just said, "I'm Richard Feynman. I'm doing no, research." <laughs> no, I'm sure he probably had to do this because that's how fr- like I could do yep. this. Like yep. I know people in the infrastructure community who mm-hmm. have done this, and they go and they spend thousands of dollars on these manuals, and mm-hmm. they are they are safe crackers. But if the security of your of your entire system depends on Depends on people. Mm-hmm. Good luck. That's all it I can de- say. It, de- it depends on people just not knowing about it. Yeah. Right. This and rare, in, rare model. And in general, like the history of the lock is also super fascinating, right? Mm. It wasn't until the last hundred years, the last hundred years in the thousands of years, hundreds of thousands, depending on who you talk to, of humans doing things and acting in groups. That societies began to think that lo- trust locks, like every night before you go to bed, you will lock your front door, mm-hmm. knowing damn well I could probably pick it. Yep. Right? But it's a trade off. You just, and this gets into the targeting aspect, right? Like, if you want to have a deterrent, you get like a big loud dog, mm. right? If you really want to keep, keep people out, you establish a strong perimeter, you change out the default locks, you install abloy locks like steel doors and like all that, all that crazy shit. But like, even like maybe probably like an alerting, like security yeah, system, like an alarm system for detection, right? Mm-hmm. Ocean sensors, like you layer on all yes. um, of these things, but. It wasn't until the like the last hundred years where people would like leave things unlocked in their home and assume that the front door lock would keep them out. And the history of that is probably a whole other hour long podcast at some point. But like, if anybody ever wants to pull on that thread, email me or hit me up on <laughs> hit hit me up um, online because it's interesting because I don't I don't trust locks um, at all. Um, I still lock my front door because mm-hmm. you're you're getting into a very nuanced view of security at that point, right? Okay. Like you're going to have certain types of attackers. Um, attackers, you'll have an opportunistic attacker. Um, here's an example. I'm in the process of a move, mm-hmm. and I was looking at a storage c- c- container area, like a storage locker thing to put all of our 
crapping like mm-hmm. and i'm walking through and i'm looking at all these crappy ten dollar padlocks saying i could i could pick that lock i could bypass that lock i've picked that lock like mm-hmm. and i'm thinking if i'm an attacker if i got to a container that had like a a $200 abloy lock on it, solid steel, undrillable, unpickable, like a shackle that's like that wide as opposed to like that yep. wide, like like twice as wide. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to one of the other ones. Yes. And that gets into the, like the posturing side of it. Like it could be empty, but I could have a $200 lock on it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably enough to keep it safe. Even though somebody can just cut the thing that the lock is in, mm-hmm. right? Somebody would rather pick a lock, take all the stuff out, and then close it and not leave evidence that they were in there. Kind of like like a path of least resistance. Yes, because every day an employee walks up and down all of those. Mm -hmm. And the longer that that a detection can be, the more degree of success you're going to have as an attacker. Mm -hmm. So for me, locks are a fascinating subject because locks are usually the first and the last thing that are going to keep you safe. And they're usually the most overlooked. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I think if you'd like to transition uh, th- this topic as well, too, because we're sure. talking about lines of defense. All right, mm-hmm. they get past the front door, yep. they get past this, they get past this. Eventually, they get to you. And um, this probably ties into the topic, as as you said, you you do have a, a lot of liberal views, probably a left-leaning <laughs> as well, too. There you going, yeah. Yep. And then, but also at the, at, at the same time, there are uh, some issues, especially hotbed issues uh, these days, where... Uh, you disagree on them, but also as an InfoSec person, and as you've been setting up this conversation as, as well, too, you have legitimate reasons either for or against uh, specific things, especially in the area of self-defense. Yeah. So um, my evolution on guns is pretty interesting because, I mean, two, three years ago, I was saying I think the Second Amendment should be probably abolished. I think I don't think that we need a constitutional protection for it. And now, in my more nuanced view of the world, I own three guns, and more and more each day, I believe that someday that amendment is going to protect us as information security people, as some of the tools that are developed in our world increasingly become arms, Mm -hmm. Right, Because if you look at the Second Amendment, it doesn't say guns. It says arms. Mm -hmm. Now, arms is a very, very broad term. A bazooka. A lightsaber. uh, Yeah. um, A handgun. A BB gun. Mm -hmm. But I posit in this, the next war, when America invades Iran, or something like, just using that as the example, or Mm -hmm. the next country. And you saw this begin to play out. You saw this in Afghanistan and Iraq. The first thing that we do is we go after the energy infrastructure, Mm -hmm. then the communications infrastructure. Because a lot of times, if you take then the communications infrastructure, you you at least severely degrade the communications infrastructure. And then, but like that is increasingly software. Mm -hmm. It's it's increasingly me doing a distributed denial of service attack, or me hacking like your the controls the controller to like take down all the stuff, and then like. Mm -hmm implode to destroy all of the software on the controller system so you, it'll take you a very long di- time to come back up mm-hmm. um so the s- second amendment i think is gonna become more important to us as infosec people but for me personally in terms of in, in terms of cons i mean it's pretty easy um 
if all that you do is watch the news and get your information on this secondhand, Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to have a a complete view of it. Mm. I think everybody should have to go to a range, Mm -hmm. pick up a gun, learn how to shoot it, learn how to handle it responsibly, learn the basic rules, learn that guns don't just randomly go off. A human has to be handling it a certain way. Like we were talking about this earlier. Some guns Mm -hmm. have a gazillion things on it to prevent it from going off. Yep. Like a hand grip safety, a safety safety. Trigger safety. A trigger safety, exactly. Like you can layer on all of these things if that's your priority. The gun I have, the guns I, the two handguns I have don't have a safety. But again, you different strokes for different folks. But they're also, I mean, they're legitimately fun to shoot. Mm-hmm. It's fun to start at, to start at five yards and then push out to ten and suck. And really have to like work at it and then get cut at 10. I, um, a couple of days ago, I took a, a rifle class, right? So they go through all of the overview and all the talking. They bring you out to the range. We had two, I guess, 20, I guess those were 25 round boxes. So 50 rounds um, on an AR. Or if I dot sight. They start at 10 yards and they teach you the <coughs> Kentucky wind way to calibrate. Because all of these scopes are going to be... To a, to a specific point. Distance, and, right? Yeah, and they're going to be off at any other point. So mm-hmm. if you're starting at 10, if you have that that head dot exactly on the center, and if it's a little bit down to the lower left, you need to aim, have the red dot on your next shot that much to the top right, mm-hmm. right? So they teach you that technique to take one shot and then quickly calibrate it so all of your subsequent shots are going to be spot on. Mm-hmm. Go, out, go out to 15... And then at 20, I just could not hit. Like, I was all over the fucking place. I was in my own head. And he was pointing out the, like, the small things. Like, yeah. the order of taking the safety off, putting your finger on the trigger, taking the deep breath, and then just squeezing the trigger. I was doing the, the whole controlled breathing thing. At, um, high index. And then at the bottom of the breath, taking my hand down and pulling the trigger. And just mm-hmm. that was introducing too much play. Yeah. But small things like that. But just the challenge of... And then at the end of it, for my last two shots, I put it out to 50. Hmm. I, I would have killed you. Yeah. Um, I, um, I would have hit you. I mean, I mean it, wasn't, it wasn't... Perfect. Perfect, but it was within what would have... Um, it would kill if mm-hmm. you watch uh, Forged in Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, understanding and removing the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you mm. hear these parkland children and you hear all these people and i'm going to present the contrarian view for one for one a moment um when you were 18 did you think that you knew everything about the world i would say yeah i would I say sh- I, was, I was young i and sure dumb. as hell did i i would say because of like oh look at my test scores oh look at this i'm scoring off the charts on my psats or whatever it was yeah oh i know computers you know yeah so Oh, I'm pretty damn good at guitar. Yeah. And look at these stupid adults. Yeah. Especially like my my, my dad uh, was already a big gun guy yes. already as well, too. Yeah. I was like, well, what the fuck do you need guns for, dad? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. But g- growing and appreciating a life experience and doing things like having friends who could prevent contrarian views. And that like I brought numerous people into the range. Mm. I mean, I brought I brought I mean. And I've signed more, I've signed like five uh, firearm ID reference cards. I mean, I'm all about breaking down this walls. specific and, to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it should not be scary. 
Yep. It should not be. And I think that all of the tactics you hear. So here's the problem. Insane person takes a gun, goes into a school and shoots it up. Mm -hmm. Lots of things go wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. like there should have been people on him ahead of time. Like there should, there are so many positive indicators. And then the actual cop stationed at the school, like just hung out there frantically scared, mm-hmm. which he has every right to be, but like, this is your job. You're there to do that thing. Like you failed that day. You failed a lot of kids that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's taken enough over that, but so, um, okay. We should have more stringent background checks. Agreed. I think New Jersey, I mean, I talked to people out of state and they're like, yeah, I walked into the gun store and an hour later I walked out. Like, it didn't have to have an FID card. Like, I don't know if they, like, do the background check, like, like a later on. Like, I don't know how that works. But but in New Jersey, like, I mean, we ha- I mean it took me months before I could walk into a, a, into a store and buy a gun because mm-hmm. like, I had to do paperwork and get, like, get, and get fingerprinted and have, and be background checked and have character references. And I was researching this too. You need a FID card and all that. And it also depends on the firearm, right? If you wanted yes. to get a handgun, you had to get a permit. Yes. The handgun for each hand. And, and you can only buy one handgun a month. Oh, yeah. oh what, what's only, it? Like a 30 day yes. waiting period? And it's yeah. not a month. It's exactly 30 days. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but you get into, I yeah, mean, yeah. like, and the state I'm, I'm the state I'm about to, I'm about to, mm-hmm. Virginia is like the exact opposite. Like I have a friend down there and he's like yeah i've got silencers and his wife is like why the fuck do you need silencers and he's like because i don't want to blow my eardrums out um, mm. at the range like yeah. it's not because I'm, I'm a sniper it's not because i'm a criminal it's because not like you're a hitman in uh yeah. hollywood movies because i don't want to blow my with, I, the, with the was it that pew, 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 like sound ever, effect which ever, is not really. if you've ever shot a gun it's loud i yeah. mean it's really loud you have to wear ear protection and if at two in the morning the person breaks in your house, you need to fire your gun. The thing that they you cannot really prepare for is the the Volume. shock that you're going yeah. to be in and the disorientation that you're going to be in. So as much as you c- 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 go to the range and you t- take classes and you practice, until you start practicing without eye and ear, mm-hmm. it's not really practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. And I think most of the people... I interface with who have strong anti-gun opinions. If I if I'm able to talk them into going to the range again, I've converted some of them into firearm owners. Mm-hmm. Because when you own a firearm, you're not owning it for you're owning it for a worst case. Mm-hmm. And there are certain people, and on the degree of preppers, right? Yep. You, you yep. can have a a panic room. You can have. Um, two years stockpiled dry good foods. Um, if somebody ever were to break into um, my house and get through all of my other defenses, c- yeah. c- controls, the life of me and my wife um, and my dog is important, and I will defend it because my th- th- n- nobody has the right to infringe on my liberty. And once you start to understand that, and once you start to read. Some of the like the Federalist Papers that talked about the the Protestants being completely disarmed in England, and then the King going in and like killing two thirds mm-hmm. of them. I mean, it, it's you understand 
Um, I, I was talking about this with somebody recently, and he summed it up really perfectly. The government should be scared of us. We should not be scared of the government. Mm-hmm. I think some of the arguments that I've heard, and this is obviously for the sake of conversation, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, yeah, that prepper mentality. Oh, like, no one's really going to break into your house because, like, compared to, like, a mansion or something like that. Why are Until you they so do. Re- Until they do. Right? Until they do. I, I- <laughs> And I will totally agree. There's a certain amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that plays into this. Yes. But you, again, you're all, I'm all about quantifying risk. And the risk of me losing my life because somebody sees me like um, I, I bought a massive television on Amazon. Right, mm-hmm. so they saw that television being moved oh, in, and they want that freaking television. It, it, it's like staring into the sun, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, like if that ever happened, I mean, yeah. if you if you want to kill me over that television, that's not that's not an equation I'm prepared to take. Um, I will let you take the television, but if you come upstairs, if you come anywhere close to me. <laughs> Yep. You're done. And I won't feel even remotely bad about it because I own this little corner of the world and you're encroaching on my corner of the world. Mm-hmm. I think that, let me see. I think there's two things on my, my mind. One of them, there was that other argument that's going around. You don't really need a insert model of gun here. So and that's then, where. That's that's one. Yeah. And then, and then, mm-hmm. the, then the second one was uh, you did say that you uh, started out. Uh, saying the Second Amendment should be abolished, but then yep. you eventually uh, developed a, a nuanced view towards uh, guns in general. So if you could go over some of the key aspects that started to shift it towards a nuanced view, probably not a complete flip for mm-hmm. 100% pro 2A. Sure. Versus, so yeah. go ahead. So I'll kind of, um, I'll take those in order. So from the, like you get down to like, that was a tangent there, but sure. Um, event happens. We need tighter controls on who can get guns. I will even agree with that. I should. I even believe you should be twenty-one before you can buy a gun. You're twenty-one mm-hmm. before you can drink. I think you should be twenty-one before you can fucking drive. I think <laughs> kids are <laughs> stupid and they don't realize how stupid they are. And I was a stupid kid once, so I completely understand that. And I really do. Don't mean that in a confrontational way. I mean that as I was an eighteen-year-old kid and I thought I knew how the world worked, and that's just not how the world works. You you learn through experience, you learn through failure, and if anything, I think this may be a good opportunity for all these kids to learn a very important lesson. Mm-hmm. When you're doing something in politics, you want to be as specific as possible. Mm-hmm. So. An event happens at your school. You have all of these public events. You go on the public speaking tour. You say we want to restrict, like the two things I said were restrict who can get guns, uh, mentally ill, and 21. Okay, that's great. Then you drift into things like, and no high-capacity magazines. Well, you define a high-capacity magazine as what the gun was designed to use. So if you buy a gun and it's designed, like a a pistol, typically is designed to hold... Fifteen rounds of a particular ammo. That's just typically how much ammo you can squeeze into the butt, right? Dropping that restriction down is dumb because a, 
people who don't care about the law, criminals, will ignore it, <laughs> and it will put the people who adhere to the law at a disadvantage. If somebody mm-hmm. breaks into my house and they also have a gun, if I shoot 10 rounds and then have to reload, and they have a clip that holds 25, guess when most people typically die in a gunfight? During the reload. During the reload. Mm. So... You get into, and then on numerous occasions, on numerous shows on television, I've heard them say, and we want to ban all semi-automatic guns. Hmm. Okay, so I don't think you even know what a semi-automatic gun is, because that's most guns on the market today. Yep. Right? So... One, what, there's a term going around, though, right, these days, where say, well, now you're just gun-splaining people. Well, yeah, but... And they use that as a, like a defense mechanism. Yeah, but I do think, I mean, if you want to have very strong views on gun control, you're entitled to that. Mm. I'm entitled to tell you, I, I'm entitled to want to bring you to the range and have an hour with you to talk to you about guns before you start to publicly express your expert views on this thing you know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And this gets into this fallacy that you think you're an expert because you had a common experience. You think you're an, you think you're an expert because you read the friggin' Wikipedia page. You think you're an expert because you saw it on Fox News. You think you're gonna, you think you're like people don't understand that expertise comes with time. Mm-hmm. And the more that you start to practice something, the less you understand, the less you, the more you understand that true expertise is a fallacy, mm-hmm. right? Like, like if you really love something, you're always evolving your views of it. You're always pursuing new information about it. And I just feel like guns in this country have been turned into a political topic mm-hmm. that defies like you don't hear anybody with any type of a nuanced point mm-hmm. on the television yeah. it's all either a child from a child who has put through a terrible thing mm-hmm. but I'm sorry this does not make you a subject matter expert on that thing mm-hmm. it just you you are a subject matter uh, an expert on the experience of being shot at mm-hmm. but you don't you're not a security expert you don't know things like deterrence you don't so like this whole idea of arming school teachers i don't think that's the most terrible idea in the world i think arming all of them is a batshit crazy idea i think arming the ones that want to take the particular classes and understand the rules and responsibilities, how is that not the best deterrent? Yep. If an attacker doesn't even know who's armed, mm-hmm. that is the best deterrent in any type of a system. So it's, it's complicated. And as an American, and um, as Americans, we should be talking about this, but yeah. even if you were to ban the AR platform, mm-hmm. right? That lo- you quote, why, why do you even need it? Yeah. And I will... I will understand that, like, yeah, like, you're not going to use an AR in home defense. You may use it in particular hunting types of scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're definitely going to use it in tactical types like the police and and uh, military. But I, I'm not sure an average American really needs that as part of their arsenal besides the whole zombie apocalypse case. Mm-hmm. But it's futile because if you ban that one thing, like, what is... Th- 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 Hey, AR. Mm-hmm. It's not a model of gun. It's a it's a design. Mm-hmm. And if they change one thing of that design, it's no longer an AR and it's legal. 
Yeah. So if you, that's what's called um, escalation. You never want to en- enter in an escalation battle with an opponent. Um, as we're talking about things to read, the art of war mm-hmm. is probably thing two, thing two to read after how to win friends and influence people, right? Yep. But you never want to trigger an escalation response because that's that will that will lead in that will lead to the both of you basically destroying each other. It's mm-hmm. not going to lead to any type of success. And then you threw it again. Uh, the, the second uh, question was you, you started throwing in the word nuance, where you started out being particularly, you know, uh, anti. And then wh- what do you think were some key events or uh, that that happened or that you've experienced that suddenly led to a little bit more, as you said, yeah. something more nuanced? So I do think there's a fair amount of intersection between infosec and guns, mm-hmm. infosec and firearms. I think, think there's lots of people who spend time in high uh, world and realize that if Trump tweets the wrong thing, North Korea could nuke California and then Russia would blow up our power grid and we'd have to go off grid. Oh, wow. So there's a certain like zombie apocalypse mentality that all of us have. Like, mm-hmm. like you want to be prepared for when the lights go out. Um, but um, I think that was kind of what the two things I will attribute to really changing uh, from going from I don't think I'll ever own a gun to uh, mm-hmm. to um, owning one is just this increased fascination around the Second Amendment and the things I do. Mm-hmm. Like the the state of Georgia, um, I don't think it's law yet. I think the governor still has to sign it. There's a very vibrant campaign with the with trying to target him to to not sign it but it essentially makes all offensive security tools um illegal any tools that you use to decompile um uh, malware any tools that like so hmm i'm increasingly hung up on this idea that at some point we as a group in the security community are going to have to think about our tools as arms mm-hmm. and think about them on the long on the larger scale because we're going to need that protect that constitutional p- protection yeah why do you need that penetration testing software yeah why do you need to be able to enumerate open ports yeah you don't right? need that much processing power you just need to yeah. sign on to facebook and, and all of these things, and I mean, AI and ge- so, I mean, security, mm-hmm. I mean, lockpicks, they're dual use, right? Mm-hmm. And anything that's a dual use falls into this gray area where you always have legislators trying to... This is interesting. Trying to legislate it, right? Trying to create morality, trying to create taboo, because remember, people are bad, so they need mm-hmm. to be told what not to do. Um, laws have to be made to prevent people from doing things. Um, and I mean, it just, it really, so that, and then, um, just like I've seen some talk. So I saw a fascinating talk uh, last year at Tapcon where a guy had one of these new style guns that does like a handprint confirmation. Yep. Right. Like a smart gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A smart gun, right? So he's going through all these hacks, and he goes out and he buys like an industrial-style uh, magnet because he realizes in there is just basically a software-controlled latch, and he can. Then he realizes what he needed was like one of those really small, like like 
fire earth uh, magnets and it mm-hmm. worked perfectly he would I take his this. hand completely yeah, yeah. off you, you, you probably yeah. saw it yeah and but then after seeing that like that really just got me looking at guns like yeah. looking at the looking at the models that and i saw interest a sky talk on and these sky talks you're not allowed to take any pictures you're not allowed to tweet about them you're not but like it was mm-hmm. two years ago but like talking about 3d printing the actual parts of the gun that are that are controlled Mm -hmm. so you can go online and buy all the ar parts and then you can just 3d print this one like there's one latch or the the one group of like latch and pins or something that you can just basically 3d print and he said it's plastic but like i've shot um eight thousand rounds through it and it's held up so dual use is tricky and i live on that line of dual use things like i said like social engineering techniques right Mm -hmm. i can use them to persuade my wife to move to Virginia. <laughs> I can use them to persuade a target to do something I want them to do. Mm-hmm. This gets into ethics and this gets yes. into your view of the world and mm-hmm. your personal responsibility and much, 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 much more important things. Double-edged swords. Double-edged swords. This could sword. be used for offense and defense. Yeah. But essentially, um, after those two things happen, like I actually... So we went to Gun for Hire, and mm-hmm. we just loved everything about it. Like, super friendly. Tried a bunch of guns. I have a bunch of friends who are into guns. They said, oh, go try that one. Go try that one. And then once you go to the range once or twice, you you can get hooked. Mm-hmm. The enjoyment um, factor. Out just the enjoyment factor. Yep. And the personal um, enrichment. And it's not a skill that I probably will ever use i hopefully i, hope I won't yeah, to, yeah but if you do ever have to use it you want to be competent you want to know mm-hmm. how to two in the morning when like put the magazine in and rack it and take turn the safety off and mm-hmm. keep your finger off the trigger and like you you want to know how to do that stuff because if, if you ever do have to use it you don't want to have to say hey i hope i took i, I really had how should I have taken that class? Gotcha. That's the worst possible outcome. Well, you know, just summing it all up, because it's it's interesting, because we started out talking about infra, uh, all these topics that everyone would think like, oh, you're just going off another rabbit hole. They all kind of like <laughs> tied together. The fear, uncertainty, doubt in the beginning, capitalizing mm-hmm. off of that, human nature. Then you talk about social engineering. You talk about your world information security, a fascinating topic. And then how that actually had it was it was a bit of a catalyst there was enough intersection there into the world of uh, firearms you oh know? yeah yeah so yeah. amazing i think this yeah. is a good point that we're, we, we can call it because obviously as, sure, you, sure, as you yeah, said yeah. there's so much more to delve into <clears throat> but uh what about for yourself if you want to promote anything or uh you said for people to <laughs> email you or anything i don't know what, well no i don't really have anything anything really huge huge to uh promote um um, I had a lot of fun. I love yes. having these casual conversations. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to come back and absolutely and, and continue them anytime. I'm about to move, but I do have a lot of friends and family up here, so I do plan on coming up here plenty Wonderful. of times. And you can haul all this stuff. Yes, and you As can you do see one. My, my quote air quote studio. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could totally bring everybody down, and we could do one from the the countryside at some point. Um, Amazing, and talk about that, but. Yeah, I mean, if anybody has a small company and they're interested in cloud-based security, um, the company I'm at now, Opaque, basically what we do is we offer an enterprise-grade 
security stack. So as a small company, you you can't spend two hundred grand on the software and then hire the team of people to write the the the, the software to integrate all of that, and then have a twenty four by seven operations team following the sun, keeping an eye on emerging threats and stuff. And that's a, it's basically what our company does. Uh, and we offer an entire security stack for a reasonable price per endpoint per per um, month. And it's a good way for small and non-large, anywhere up to enterprises, to get their hands on true enterprise-grade security that would otherwise take resources beyond their control Mm -hmm. to um, obtain. So yeah, um, if you're interested in that, call me. Um, I spend a lot of time. I'm, I'm employed over there, and it's a lot of fun. So... Thank you yeah. so much, Ryan. And I'm just going to sum it up just with, uh, also just for Warren, hmm. uh, in case like, well, why, you know, all these topics, um, Ryan, as I said, was my true first kind of like mentor when it came to anything with computers and software engineering. Uh, like I said, a lot of the principles that he like taught me early on, I still use to this day. I teach to other people. It's it's helped me stay on, on this track. In case you're wondering why I'm such a either like nice guy or an asshole, you can probably attribute that to Ryan as well too. <laughs> when it comes to certain things with software, and um, it's 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 a huge part of my life, and uh, and he continues to be a great friend. And thank you for coming, buddy. And yeah, I can't I'm happy wait to, to be here. It was a, it, talk it, some it more. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, yeah, I'm appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, man. Cheers. And that's the end of my first podcast where I couple drinking uh, the throat coat tea with some bourbon. Hopefully I didn't bumble more than I usually do. Uh, and we want to thank Ryan for being on the podcast as well as supplying that liquid courage. And we can't wait to have him on again. As always, you can get in touch with us at Dear Warren Podcast at Gmail, Instagram, and on Facebook. Thank you for listening and all the support. We love you all, and we will see you next time, hopefully with the midweek podcast, if we ever get to it, all this busy time, with the wonderful Jessica. We love you all.